Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Today, what I want to talk about is the seat or the limp. The seat or the limp. This week, I was actually uh, Tuesday, me, Grace, and Amanda, I think Cav was here, and Sean as well. Uh, we were planning out some Christmas stuff because we won't have church on Christmas. We'll have, uh, we'll have something online that you can watch, which is one of the only things we do online. Because if you didn't know, we don't do live stream here. You've got to come. No amens there. Anyway, <laughs> people are like, but I like watching in bed. Okay. Uh, but we were talking, and I remember there was, we leave our doors unlocked and open here, and you couldn't tell we're in a we're in an awesome area for the gospel and somebody walked in and immediately you could tell they just walked in in the off the street and I remember walking up to them and as I walked up to them uh he he immediately introduced him or I introduced myself and he said his name and his name was Jerry and I love the I have interactions with everybody around here I don't I'm not just called the Sunday morning preaching I walked up to Jerry and you could tell he kind of was just off the street and he looked at me and he said, hey, can you validate a bus ticket? And I said, well, where are you trying to go? And he said, Michigan. And I was like, okay, well, that's, I don't know if I can quite do that one. But I said, hey, let me get, we have some coffee and some things and let me, let me, let me get you some stuff. And I remember I, I walked him out and, and as I was walking him out, there was something that uh, struck me. And he started talking to me about his story, and, and as I was listening, I said, hey, man, can I pray for you? With him, but with people in general, I remember, I, I, and I'll typically do this if I meet somebody I don't know, is immediately pray a prayer of purpose. And the reason I do that is because genuinely, to, in this day and age, to pray, God, I just thank you for this person. I thank you that they have purpose. I thank you that they were created with intrinsic value. I, cr- I pray that they, were, that they realize how much you love them, but more than that, how you have a purpose for their life, you have a plan for their life, you want to see them live and walk with you, to be one with you. And I'll pray these things, and, and in this moment, and he looked at me and he said, dude, I don't know who you're talking about, but you're not talking about me. I don't have purpose. And I looked at him, I said, oh no, I do. I think that the decisions and choices that have dictated your life what they do is they try to get you to a place of defeat and not thinking you have anything to offer, but I do believe you do. And he looked at me and said, no, you don't know the decision I, I've made. I said, I know, but I do know one who paid for those decisions and those mistakes and those things that you've done wrong. And it was funny because I remember I kept pushing back every time it was, well, I've done so many things wrong. Well, I can't believe that I've, well, you don't understand what I struggle with. And at the same time, I hear you, but I do believe Jesus, his word, and what he did for me, he did for you as well. And it was funny, because by the end, he literally just looked at me and was like, tears in his eyes, was like, thank you so much for just speaking these things over me, because nobody's really spoke these things. And I remember I said, hey, I'm here Tuesdays and Thursdays, you ever see my truck, you come in, we'll talk, whatever, but it's a Mephibosheth. But I believe that even whether it's inside of the church or outside of the church, there is something happening in which we identify more with a limp that we have than a seat that's been prepared. And what I mean by that is it's, and I almost wanted, I like had to stop myself from going straight into it during worship. Because 
it's almost like we can take communion and say, God, thank you for calling to remembrance this sacrifice for my sin and my circumstances and my situations. Thank you so much. And then within five to ten minutes, doubt his goodness, doubt his grace, and doubt he has anything prepared for us. But man, communion was awesome. And so I want to encourage you today. I'm not saying that we don't acknowledge limps. I'm not saying that we're not aware of the things that we've been through. But we don't choose the identity over the, of the limp over the identity of the seat at the king's table. So we're going to read, if that's okay with you. Second Samuel 4, verses 4 had a son who was disabled in both feet. He was five years old when the news of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse picked him up and fled. But it happened that in his, her hurry to flee, he fell and could no longer walk. His name was Mephibosheth. If you actually look up the meaning of the name Mephibosheth, it means from the mouth of shame. Now let's add context. Not only... Is this the worst day of his life? In 2 Samuel 4, verses 4, you see that not only is he lame in this moment, but he has lost his father. He has lost his grandfather, who is the king of Israel. And he's lost his birthright and access to providing for himself. He no longer is royalty. And actually, if anything, he is a symbol of doomed kingsmanship. He is somebody you do not want to be. And now he has a, a, a physical marking. Every day that he struggles to walk, he's reminded of the day he lost everything. Now there is a flicker of hope here that we're going to read about. And it's ultimately that his dad, Jonathan, was David's best friend. Now if you study ancient um, history or anything like that, typically what happens is when a king assumes the throne, he takes out anybody who would have a claim to that throne or would, would try to circumvent David because of his relationship with Jonathan. Even though Mephibosheth is a threat to his own power, does something unconventional. Let's read. Second Samuel 9, 1 through verse 8, it says this, Then David said, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? that I could show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your son Saul, to whom I could show the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, one who is disabled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba, Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Then King David sent messengers who brought him from that house. Verse 6. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face and prostrated. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. Then David said to him, do not be afraid, for I will assuredly show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore your land and all of your grandfather, Saul. And you yourself shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should be concerned about a dead dog like me? Today, all I want to do, and I'm not going to go super long, all I want to do is talk about how you sit at a king's table, even with a limp. 
Because I think a lot of the times what happens in a king's access instead of the limp is the very thing that the king is seeking out and wanting to renew and rename. And I think a lot of the times what's sad to me is that we go through hard things in life. I'm going to, I'll be honest here at our church, we're not going to gloss over and say everything's going to be perfect with Jesus all the time. And you'll hear me say it a thousand times. I've said it 500, but we don't follow Jesus because he makes it easy. We follow Jesus because he makes it worth it. It's offering worth. And I pray you choose worth more than you choose the comforts of whatever this, this world could offer. Because I'm telling you, there's a king's table for your limp. So the first thing is this. It's hard to have a seat at the table of victory if you have a defeated mindset. Second Samuel 9.8, listen to this. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should be concerned about? Think about that. David calls him in, gives him a blessing, says, listen, you're going to eat at my table. You now have access. You now are restored. Your riches, your lands. But I'm a dead dog. I find it interesting that this is the language used after given a blessing because I believe this is the language the enemy wants you to use every time you look at a blessing God could give you. To look through the lens of the limp, to look through the lens of brokenness, to doubt God's goodness, to doubt that God has a plan for you, to doubt that God sees you, to doubt that God knows you, to doubt that God is there with you and live in this defeated reality in which I do not have anything to offer. I'm nobody important. I'm just here. Examples of a defeated mindset. I'm not good enough. I'll never amount to anything. I have no future. No one will ever love or accept me for who I am. Dog. And I find it so almost infuriating to read that the enemy could so convince somebody of their self-worth on circumstance alone when God redeems and restores previous circumstance, but we still believe in the past one. God redeeming and restoring, but us still believing that it hasn't been redeemed or restored. If we haven't dealt with this before, I promise you, you will whether it's the death of a loved one, anything in life, whether it's a job, whether it's just bouts with anxiety or depression, to almost sit here and say, God, like, I know you're good, but man, I, it feels like I can't sense it. This is a place where we focus on the depth and the discipline to get through the seasons in which we do not want to go forward. Yet we stumble and we scratch and claw, trusting that he has a way through. And I want to challenge you today if what you're sitting and receiving is, but I'm a dead dog and there's nothing you could really vocalize that to anybody. These are demons that we fight in our homes and in our minds and in the quiet and the stillness before we fall asleep at night. But I want to say this to you. We took communion today because the body was broken for you and the blood was poured out for you. And the resurrection happened because death was not the end. It was the symbol of what God could turn in our favor. 
And I think a lot of us were sitting in this place wondering how God could turn something dead into life. And we're forgetting that that's the entirety of the gospel. I want to challenge you on this, a defeated mindset, and really challenge you around this lens, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I want to challenge you on this. If you're, having, if you're sitting here and saying, man, I'm not going to lie, I have a defeated mindset, my question would be, what does the habit of renewing your mind look like? Because if you read this, li- listen to how it's actually spelled out to renewing of your mind. The renewing of it. What does that mean? It's not like, oh, one time I'm going to remove of pursuing transformation. Habits and behaviors that then dictate how you perceive and function in this world. See, a lot of us, I think we come to church and we just say, God, will you renew everything? And God looks at us and says, well, your habits will, your decisions will, how you spend your time will. If you renew your mind, listen to that ending again. You may prove what the will of God is, which is good and perfect. The second thing. And the first one, once again, because I thought it was good. It's hard to have a seat at the table of victory with a defeated mindset. The second, your name has a place at the table, not your lame identity. No pun intended on that, too. And what I mean by that is, listen to this, 2 Samuel 9, verses 3. Then the king said, is there no one remaining of the house of Saul to whom I could show kindness? And Ziba said to him, there is still a son who is disabled in both feet. I want you to notice the wording here. Is there someone still around? Yeah, there's a son, but he's lame. He didn't mention his name. He mentioned his weakness. Think about that for a second, that he was so known for his weakness that people didn't even mention his name and everybody knew who he was. We can send a servant to find that person because they're so lame and their situation was so terrible that everybody knows where they're at and we can find them based on that. Let that sink in. It's remember their name. We just remember how terrible of a life they've had. But remember when he comes in, the king calls him by name, restores his title, says you now have a seat here. And I think for some of us, I want to challenge you. Your name has a place at the table. Not the thing you've struggled with. Not the thing that's, that's beating you up. God doesn't see you through your weakness. And I think so often we come into situations and settings in which we look at God through our circumstance and through the things that he didn't do and through the stuff that we never could understand. And then he says, come sit at the table. And the only thing we can think of is the limp that we blame him for. We live in a fallen world. And I have made the choice in my life through seasons of up and down, through seasons of loss, happiness, and pain. I've made the choice that there are going to be some things in this world that won't be resurrected. But in the end, when I'm in heaven, everything will be. 
and I've signed that dotted line and recognized that sometimes my own way of thinking and reasoning, needing to know everything, I'll just substitute his goodness and I'll substitute his faithfulness and trust that that resurrection will reframe the way I see it. There's a passage of scripture in Psalm 71, verse 20. You've shown me many troubles and distresses, yet, I'm going to say this again. You have shown me many troubles and many distresses, yet you will revive me from the depths. You can choose to sit in the circumstances or to rise to the seat that's been prepared. But that'll always be your choice. Your choice. Mephibosheth has lost his grandfather, his father, his siblings, his claim and his stake as king in the kingdom, and he's paralyzed. But when you start sitting at the king was in the past, they see you for where you are currently. See, people saw Mephibosheth's weakness, but they also knew his position. And I want to challenge you today to not be looking at your life through the weaknesses and brokenness and uncertainty and lack of meaning, but to look at the, at the position you possess, a place where his spirit dwells and wants to lead and guide, a light in the darkness a carrier of him. The third thing, and I'm only given three, so you guys, this is it. It's hard to have a seat at the table of victory with a defeated mindset. The second, your name is a place at the table, not your lame identity. I did say no pun intended. Nobody laughed at that. <laughs> Mainly, okay, thank you. Okay, I like you. Talk to me after. And this one is so important. And it's important because I think we're, we're seeing this more than ever today in the church. You can have a seat at the table and still starve. 2 Samuel 9 verse 7. 2 Samuel 9 verse 7. Then David said to him, do not be afraid for I will assure show confidence to you for the sake of your father and I will restore to you all the claims of you and your grandfathers regularly listen to this the king said I'll restore and give you everything there was only one thing attached just eat regularly with me think about that I'll give you everything back but there is a seat that I now have prepared for you in a place that I want you to come to regularly. See, I think a lot of the times we, as believers, we look and say, God, I want the lands, I want the titles, but I don't sit at the table. And I think for some of us, as we sit here and we assess ourselves, right, if I were to ask you, have you been regularly? 
Have you sat in the chair that he prepared and he offered? Have you sat and ate with him, but not only ate with him, sat in the presence not realizing that as you consume, the identity changes. As you starts to shift and it starts to shake and pull apart. See, all of a sudden the limp, it's not there as much. Because all people can see is you eating with a king. Focus on is the limp and God is saying, eat with me. All we can focus on is where we have been crippled and deformed. And God is saying, let my table redefine it. May my position restore it. And may who I am cover it. See, this is Mephibosheth's story because I think for a lot of us, whether we want to realize it or not, we have Mephibosheth inside of us. Where we've got a seat at the table, but we haven't been going regularly. And we're crying out to God saying, why am I starving? And he's saying, why is your spot empty? And this isn't some sermon to get you so convicted in which you try to do everything all at once. This is just a sermon to remind you you have a place at a table. And you have a place with the king. But you have the table. Worship nights aren't the table. The table is in your home. The table's in your car. The table's in your workplace. The table's at your school. The table's in the early hours in the morning or the late hours of night. The table can be on your break or it can be on the run. But I'll be regular at focusing on today. See, fixate, restoring the gaze of humanity back to its creator. Our eyes are on you because guess what? The most important thing to Mephibosheth from this moment on wasn't the table or the lands. Later on, you actually see in his story, he got left behind when David was ransacked and replaced by Absalom. And as he came back into the city, he couldn't believe that Mephibosheth had not gone with him. And Mephibosheth blamed, said, Ziba left me and I couldn't get there. I was crippled, but I'm going to split this in half and give Ziba half and give you half. And you know what Mephibosheth said? He said, even though Ziba had wronged and lied about him, he said, he can have it all. But let me keep the seat. Man, I hope we get to the point where we're willing, and it doesn't matter if we're accused or if we're going through it, we're willing to sacrifice everything. But give me the seat. My parting thought is this. One of the best verses in Jeremiah 29 is not 29.11. It's 29.13. You will seek me and find me. When you search for me with your whole heart. See, some of us were like, okay, God, I really want you. God, I really want you. Seek me. Find me. With your whole heart. Story is this. I was, uh, I would always, I've always grown up around water. Um, I was actually born in California. I don't really can't claim California like Daniel Griffo does, but I was born there. Um, Daniel's in the back. He just knows. He's like, I don't have a microphone. Daniel's one of those guys you mentioned California and his heart just starts beating. (laughs) 
He's got a tattoo of the flag right here. It's incredible. He's literally against the back wall. Everybody wants to stare. Just kidding. Um, but I, I, I would consider myself a good swimmer. And in all honesty, I think all of us have felt this where we've been, where I, I consider myself a good swimmer, but there was a couple instances where things got a little sketchy. If you haven't felt this, good for you. <laughs> but I remember when I graduated high school, I did missions work and I was, uh, I was, and I remember as I was in India swimming, there was a, um, there was like somebody who was managing us and was like, hey, the currents are pretty crazy here. And I was like, okay. Well, I'm a good swimmer. I'll be fine. From America, I know everything. <laughs> so, so I remember we start swimming and it's me and a couple of the guys and we're out, we're catching all the waves and it's awesome. Uh, fun fact about India is where we were was so close to the equator that everybody got so burned that half our team got sun poisoning. So the closer you are to the equator, the, actually that is true, the sun is hotter. <laughs> but as I was swimming, I remember turning around and starting, we got in, we're getting to the place where we were done swimming, and as we were done swimming, we started swimming to shore, and then I remember I'm swimming, and I'm like, man, I'm getting a little tired, and I look, but I'm like, ah, I'm probably pretty close, and I look up and I haven't moved. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself like, oh, this is not going to be pleasant, <laughs> And it's like we're talking, me and my two friends, and we're like, hey, we're pretty far. we got to start swimming. And then all of a sudden, we're looking at each other. Oh, we're, we might die right now. <laughs> and I remember we swim and we swim, and we're like talking like, hey, guys, let's just keep pushing. Like, we're going to make it. We're going to be fine. Like, we're pushing and pop our head up. Oh, we went five feet, and we're far from the shore. And I remember in that moment, I, I literally, we put our heads down, and this is a 15-minute ordeal where we are swimming and swimming and paddling and going and going. And man, all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm, we're, there is no talking. It is strictly survival. Two friends, no, they made it too. <laughs> but I, I'll never forget in, those, in that moment of like real sincerity, I'll never forget thinking like, oh my gosh, that person was right, for one. I should have listened. But at the same time, I had confidence in my abilities that maybe was misplaced. And I got to the shoreline, and I remember getting there, and we just laid on the beach for 20 minutes. Just lay, like didn't even fully get out of the water, exhausted. I'd grown up swimming. I'd been around currents. I'd me from a place of safety and security into a place where I thought I'd be okay until I no longer was. We don't realize that... As I talk about being at the king's table, see, in the beginning, it's easy to go to the king's table, but over time, it maybe will cost us something to sit there. It maybe will cost us some relationships. It'll maybe cost us some thinking or some posturing, and not maybe, it will cost us. It'll maybe interject in our schedules, and if anything, it should filter our worldview and how we live. But if we're not careful... And we're not consistent going to that table. There may come a point where you're far enough away thinking it's easy to get back. And then all of a sudden you realize that you're drowning. And you let yourself get far enough away based off your own ability, your own comfort, your own ways of thinking and reasoning. And now you are struggling to get back. And I'll promise you this. If you will 
Go as hard as you can. You can get back. But I say this because in our culture today, this is what's sad. Is we're not reproducing who Jesus is because we have nothing to give people. Because we've been vacating the seat for the program, for the status, for the approval, for the brand. For a current that slowly takes us away from who we were created to be. If you're sitting here and you're saying, man, I'm not going to lie, I am a long time. You're in the right place. Because here we believe in creating space in which we learn how to regularly come to the table. Let's stand to our feet. If you could, in in quietness, something we do here is I just pray out the message over people. But whatever your posture for for receiving is, if we could all close our eyes and bow our heads. And whether you want to receive this prayer with, with open hands or open arms or just sit there in this, I promise this is something we believe in is prayer. Being rooted in prayer, being disciplined in prayer and posturing ourselves in prayer. Oh God, would you make us aware of the limp? The one that tries to condemn and contort our reality. The one that tries to convince us we are a dead dog. The one that tries to get us to adopt a defeated mindset in a fallen world. God, today we need to be reminded of the seat we have and the access to the King that that seat provides. The invitation to regularly sit and be with changes that place around the King's table. And we will never believe a lie that it does. May our lives revolve around the practice of regularly being with our King are restored not just of status and of birthright, but of dignity, of honor, and of respect. We drink today from the cup of that table. Not in a way that looks down on him who promises there's a place for their limp as well. That when others try to remind us of the struggles we have faced, we are reminded the King has come to us. He's found us. And he's called us to a position we never deserved. And all he asks us to do is return regularly. Align our hearts around that premise. A hunger to return to the king's table. To not allow our limps to redefine the king's table. But rather we trust that in your time, the king's table might weed out the limp and even quite possibly help us to forget it altogether.